Welcome back to Firehouse tonight. How many of you guys had a good break? Yeah. yeah? You're excited to be back at school, aren't you? And in classes and taking tests, homework, yes, back at it. Man, the second semester goes by fast, though, so enjoy every second, especially if you're a senior, because before you know it, it is just done. So we're going to start a new series tonight uh, called Resurrecting, and it's in 1 Corinthians 15. If you have your own Bible, you could check it out there. That'd be awesome. Make sure I'm not lying to you and putting false words on the screens and stuff like that. It's actually like reading your Bible, but if not, we do have words on the screen for you. Um, and so here, here's the deal with 1 Corinthians 15 as we jump in the, into this tonight. This one passage is one of the most powerful passages of the Bible to me. It's one of my favorites because Paul just digs in about what happens when we die. And it feels like that's kind of the question we always have, especially if we like venture into a church, we're like, well, I want to know the answer to that, right? And we probably have friends, whether they're Christian or not, who kind of dabble with the idea of like, what happens when we die? Usually when someone passes away, maybe in your family or you attend a funeral, or even when like a celebrity dies, it causes us to kind of stop for a minute and think through that kind of question everybody asks at some point in their life of what's after this. And, you know, if you come to youth group or you go to church, it tends to be this thing that we talk about a lot because the gospel is about Jesus giving us eternal life and that this life, it's not the only one. But you see a lot of people, even in churches, still kind of ask that question and they listen to things going on in the world that doubt this thing of eternal life. Could it be true? Could it be possible? And even in churches, we start to doubt, like, is that a real thing? Or is it just that we're trying to live a good life the best we can until we die and that's it? And we're trying to do what we can here and now on this earth. And so Paul wants to remind us in this chapter specifically that, like, the whole point of everything is the fact that we get to have another life after this that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Like, that's a real thing. And that's the reason when we come to this place, it matters. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, who cares? Like, why are we even here? There are better things we could be doing than faking a religion. But the fact that he really did rise from the dead and that he's alive means what we're doing right here is powerful. It's literally world-changing, eternity-changing what we do when we come and we worship and we learn about our God. But without Jesus being the center, it just doesn't matter. And so he reminds the people, especially in Corinth, that he writes this letter to. He says, like, listen, you guys are starting to get dragged or off by, like, all these lies in these other opinions of the world. And you're forgetting. Jesus is the heart of everything that we do. He really rose from the dead. And so he's going to give us some reasons throughout this, this chapter in Corinthians of why we can believe that's true. And so we're just going to look at one tonight. But I kind of wanted to look through... Some stuff that I found as I was doing some research online about just what our world is talking about right now, and like, especially when it comes to life and death. And I, I found this in Psychology Today, which is like a psychological like newspaper or like uh, magazine that you can read with like scholarly articles by like supposedly really smart people. You guys can show this from Psychology Today. It says this: Death is now in vogue. And if you don't know what in vogue means, it means like it's the cool thing to talk about. Death is now something that people talk about. People are interested in. People want to like explore more. And as they talked about it, they said phenomena, like when you hear about aliens, it causes us to think about like other things out there. And death is one of the things that causes you to think about. 
when you talk about like technology and the things that they can do with our minds and our consciousness, like, well, we start to think about, well, what's after this life? Could I live forever somehow through technology? Like, and so death is actually becoming in vogue. It's something that people are talking a lot about. And in generations past, it was like this thing you just didn't say, like death, that's scary. Don't bring that up. We don't want to talk about it. But nowadays, they're finding that more and more people want to talk about death and what happens when you die. There's this uh, professional poll. It's called a Gallup poll. And what they do is they kind of go out there and do these, like, these research projects and talk to people and find out what they say. And um, they reported that 73% of Americans... That's a lot, right? 73%, three-quarters of America believe strongly in life after death. It doesn't mean they're Christian or like they believe in Jesus. It just believes that three-quarters of America believes that there's something else after this. That's almost surprising to me. I thought like everybody out there was atheists nowadays, but like, and maybe they are atheists, but they think there's something after this life. And 27%, the 27% that don't believe there's something after this life, it says that they think about it often. So like, I don't believe it, but I'm constantly curious about it, right? So they're like still struggling with that idea. So it's just this human thing that we have to think like, I'm going to die one day. My battery's going to like run out of juice. And then what do I do? We have to think about what happens after this life. Job, uh, in Job 14, 14, he brings this up, right? Job says, if a man die, shall he live again? And that's the question, right? That's the question we're all asking. That's the question the world is asking, whether they're Christians or not. Like, everybody wants to know, like, when we die, what happens? And so I thought it was, I was just kind of curious that, like, some of the viewpoints that people have out there, like, answering that question, is there life after death? And some of the things people um, brought up, or can you show these next ones? couple things are um, the fountain of youth, right? This idea of some sort of fountain of youth, uh, not necessarily like that they're going exploring, looking for it anymore, but the idea that there could be a medicine. And if you read like the latest, like Google the latest stuff out, like they think they've found a way to reverse aging. And like, there's all these things out there about like, can we beat death? celebrities are paying tons of money to be able to take those pills and like have these different treatments that can reverse aging so that they can just forget death. Don't even worry about it. Like I'm just going to live forever. Um, reincarnation is a big thing. It's going everywhere. Like it's not just in India and Hindu religions anymore. Like it's all through America. People are believing that you can like just keep coming back to life and you die and then you're born in some other baby and live as another person. There's this thing called um, soul sleep. I want to go through a couple other things. There's this thing called soul sleep where basically they believe that you just kind of take a nap. Like your soul doesn't just die. It like sleeps. And then all of a sudden when you wake up, you're just in heaven called nirvana. You're just there. There's an idea that it's, it's called termination where you just basically turn off. It's like turning your TV off. It just goes black. And you're just done. There's nothing. You're just terminated as if you were just unplugging an appliance in your house. There's this thing called absorption. And and what this belief is, is that you are just basically like a body that has this spark in it. And this little spark of life came from this big flame. And the flame is like a type of God. 
It's like a life source. And so when you die, it's, they think it like it's a great thing. You get to get rid of this crappy body and this little spark flies off free and then flies back to this flame and then just joins it and is absorbed back. And you don't know because you're not an individual anymore. You're just a spark and you rejoin the flame. And it's crazy because that actually was the belief of the people in Corinth where Paul wrote this letter. So the church he wrote to, they were believing that spark idea that people still believe today. And he was trying to fight that mentality of like, listen, you're, you're not just a spark. You're not going to just kind of become this ambiguous thing. Like you're a person. God made you with a personality and a soul. And you're going to live on as that individual in unity with God, but you don't lose all that into some flame. And so he's trying to fight this this false lie that's being spread by this other religion. These guys named the Stoics, they hated the body. They were like, man, the body is the thing that holds us back. If we didn't have our bodies, we could do anything. Like our soul would be so free and so powerful. So this whole mindset of a resurrection made them really mad. They're like, why would Jesus want us to like go back into another body after we finally got free of this body? They just weren't understanding what would happen to that glorified body when God decided to do a work that was beyond anything they could ever imagine. And so Paul's dealing with that, and he's dealing with these, these guys named the Sadducees. They were Jewish guys who were walking around telling everybody, there's no afterlife. When you die, you just die. There's no angels. There's no afterlife. There's no resurrection. You just live really good. Try to obey God the best you can, and you'll have a good life. The better you live, the better your life will be. But after you die, there's just nothing. And so all these things are floating around. And this guy named Celsus wrote something that is kind of like really describes what Paul was dealing with. Celsus wrote this in 220 AD. He he wrote, this is the hope of worms. (laughs) For what soul of a man would any longer wish for a body that had rotted? That's what he said about Christianity, the resurrection. That's a hope for worms. Like worms want to eat your dead body. You don't want a dead body after you've died. You want to be able to just have a free soul. Why would you want a new body to have to put on again? And so Paul is wading through all of this stuff and trying to preach truth. And that's where 1 Corinthians 15 comes from. It's in the middle of all of that that Paul's like, I am going to tell you why. I'm going to write an entire chapter and I'm going to give you all these points of why we can believe 100% that you will rise again, that you will not be given a broken body that will hold you back. You'll be given a glorified, perfect body. And here's why you can believe it. And so Romans 10.9 is kind of like, man, when you think about what Paul says in Romans 10.9, listen to this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the heartbeat of our entire belief system that Jesus raised from the dead. He didn't just give up his body and fly off in some spiritual thing. Jesus literally bodily rose from the grave. He stood there so his disciples could walk up and put their fingers in the holes in his hands and his feet and touch his side. They were like, This dude rose from the dead. He's standing in front of us. He's eating fish and drinking things in front of us. Like we're watching him be alive. He's not just some ghost. 
And so Paul reminds us in Romans 10, 9, salvation comes because he did that. So if you don't believe he rose from the dead, there's no way you can be saved because it's the very power that saves you so that you can rise from the dead. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. We're just looking at verses 1 and 2 tonight. Um, So stick with me here. It says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, here's the deal. Paul has to start off by saying, now, I would remind you, right? He's having to remind them. Why? Because everything we just said. Here's this, like, new church. They're new believers, and they're, like, trying to live for Jesus, and they're hearing that there's no afterlife from the Sadducees. They're hearing that, like, the Stoics are like, this body stinks. We don't want a body. We don't want resurrection. You're hearing from these people going, you're just a spark. And they're so confused. And so they're starting to, like, listen to the culture and the world around them with all the lies they're saying about their belief system. Does that sound familiar? You guys are just saturated right now on every side by our culture trying to lie to you and feed you some junk that just isn't true. Trying to convince you that the church is a bunch of bigots, that the Bible isn't true, it's some old, out-of-date book, that this Jesus guy is just made up. I mean, on every side, we're being lied to today just like they were. And I would think that Paul, when he writes this to them, can also say the same thing to us. Hey, I would remind you, Why do you think he needs to remind us? Because Satan every day is working to make you stop believing. He wants to steal the faith right out of your chest and just be like, no, stop believing in Jesus. And he's going to lie, and he's going to give you these really strong arguments that seem fancy and really believable, just like he was doing in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not changed today. But tonight, would you hear Paul's words? Would you hear Paul tell you tonight, I need to remind you because the thing you believed when you said, Jesus, I'll follow you. Jesus, you can have my heart and my life. Remember when you did that? That's because Jesus was the center of your faith. Don't forget that. Don't forget the power that changed your heart and your life and gave you eternal life. That same power, you need to go back to that and forget all the lies and all the stories and all the convincing arguments and just walk back to Jesus. Why did you believe in the first place? Because of who Jesus is. Because there's a dude who loves you so much. It's a dude who died for you. There's a God who is willing to give his only son for you. I would remind you of that before you start even entertaining any other arguments. Remember where you started your journey, and that's what he's telling them. And then he calls them brothers. He says, now I would remind you brothers. So he's not talking to a bunch of people like who are heretics. These aren't like non-believers who are just fighting him. He's talking to the church in Corinth. These are people who are Christians, people who actually believe, and he's just trying to correct their theology. You know that you can go to church and be a Christian and still have bad theology, still like be confused about things? That's why church is so important. That's why God gave us this thing called the church, so we can come and we can open up the word and we can say, hey, hold on, wait, we might be wrong here. What does the Bible say? Let's go back to the Bible and get this straight again and get this right. And that's what we're doing here tonight. That's what we do here every Wednesday, every Sunday. 
And so he's reminding them, brothers, like, we need to do this. Don't forget the power, right, that saved you. What does scripture say? What do we know about Jesus? So brothers, he says, they're saved because of Jesus. They can be called brothers and family because of Jesus. Man, what if we forgot that? What if we decided, hey, let's just start going to church and just make it about music? Let's sing some really awesome songs and play some great music and have these sick concerts every week and everyone gets super emotional and we'll jump around and we're going to do this great stuff and we're going to be super hype and get free t-shirts and candy and pizza and all this stuff. And we're just like, whoa, this is amazing. And we leave and we never once took some time to stop and be like, I'm just in the presence of Jesus right now. I mean, that would never happen, right? <laughs> there are no churches that do that. God forbid we become a place that forgets why we can be called brothers. And let Paul remind us tonight of why we sit here, of why we sing these songs and why we worship. And so he wants to remind them, listen, he says, of the gospel. Like he's not just reminding them of any of that other stuff. He's like the thing, the most important thing is this gospel. He says that I preached to you. He was the very person that preached the gospel to those churches. He went to Corinth. He's like, listen, you need Jesus. You're a sinner. Without Jesus, there's only wrath in hell for you forever. And he's like, I'm the one who literally told you that message. I'm the one who told you that Jesus is the center of this whole thing. So let me be the one who reminds you of that thing and brings you Back to it. So listen to me. How many of you guys need to be reminded tonight of this living, powerful faith that you accepted when you accepted Jesus Christ? How many of us are sitting in the room tonight and we're bored of Christianity, bored of church, bored maybe even of Jesus, right? And we're just like, yeah, this whole thing is just whatever. I just want to go home and do my homework, get this done. Instead of walking in and be like, I'm in the presence of of my Savior tonight. I'm standing with people who want to sing out at the top of their lungs and worship the same Jesus who saved me and gave me eternal life. The same Jesus who forgave all my sin, who went to a cross and was beaten and died. That same Jesus who loves me enough and has all the power to change and transform my life. That's exciting. Like, that is something to live for. But how many of us have forgotten that? And we're living this boring Christianity, this boring faith, because we forgot the one who makes this whole thing worth it. And we've made it about other things. Could our hearts be reminded tonight of how incredible our Jesus is? Let it stoke a fire in your heart. Let it cause you to be passionate without music and smoke and all the other stuff that usually gets us going. Just the thought of Jesus, could that get a fire started in your heart tonight? What if it did? What if you left here and your heart was just ablaze for Jesus? What would be different about your life and your family and your school? Jesus would do some powerful things. Let us be reminded of that and go back to what really matters. And Paul says, I preach this to you, right? So what are you believing today? 
What's your thought? What do you think about afterlife? What do you think about the resurrection? Do you believe there really is a time where you will get a brand new body that is glorified and perfect and you'll be in the presence of God? It's hard to even imagine, right? Like, what would that even be like? My brain can't wrap around it, but I can believe it. I can believe it because the guy who said, I'm going to save you, give my life for you, promised it. And if I believe him to save me and give me eternal life, then listen, I can believe him in anything he says to me, anything he promises. So he says, I preach this to you. And look what he says next. He says, which you received. He could have been like what you heard because he preached it, right? He got up and he like preached it to them. Okay, so you guys heard me say that. But you know, and I know, there's a difference between hearing a person say something and actually receiving the thing they said. How many times does your mom like correct you or scold you and you're like, yeah, whatever, you know, like, and you sit there and you take it like you're listening, but you walk away and you're like, and that can happen so often with the Bible. It can happen so often with our faith that we hear God speaking. And then we stop. And what Paul says is these people actually heard and then received. They took it into their heart. They let it penetrate their lives. They, they let it saturate who they were. And so they all of a sudden started to live in a way that looked different because it was real. This gospel was real to them. These were people who were on fire. And then all of a sudden the world's eyes come. And look, now Paul has to come to even people like that who received it. And he has to remind them. Look, it's good for all of us to have a reminder. That's why we meet multiple times a week. Because we come back and we keep getting reminded. And we remind each other. I'm going to challenge you to remind your friends. Remind your family. Remind people constantly. Whether it's a text or just telling them or praying for them. Or just being like, hey, let me tell you why I think Jesus is so awesome. And what he's done this week in my life. So you can be reminded. So we can constantly be remembering who Jesus is. And so he says, which you received, this good news, right? And he says, in which you stand. So they didn't just hear it, they received it, but then they did something else. They said, I'm going to stand on this thing that you taught us about the gospel. So when the lies come, guess what happens? Well, you're not going to knock me over because I'm standing on this firm ground. My foundation is now the gospel of Jesus. My foundation is my relationship with my savior. So when you come tell me, Mr. College Professor and your fancy science and all this other stuff, you want to try to tell me about why I can't rise again from the dead, I'm going to tell you, but you don't know Jesus. You haven't met him yet. And I'm standing on him and I trust him more than I trust you. You see, these people were standing on the faith. They were standing on their savior, Jesus Christ. It was different from just going to church. It was different from just calling yourself a Christian. It was different even from just knowing the gospel. It was saying, I'm going to base my whole life in this. I'm betting it all on Jesus. Paul says later, like, man, I'll be the one that's the most pitied among everyone because I'm going to live my life in a way where it's totally spilled out and poured out so that people will literally pity me if Jesus isn't real because, man, he wasted his life. Like these people are like, I am betting it all on Christ. And I'm going to stand, put all my faith on him as a foundation. You see, they stood in their new identity as children of God. They were no longer 
slaves to sin, right? They were able to actually live free now because Jesus had freed them. When you stand on that salvation, it changes you. So you know I'm going to ask it, right? Like, have you experienced that freedom? Can you look at your life and be like, man, I actually see that I'm different, that I'm freed from sin, that I'm, more, I'm being drawn to Jesus now? Doesn't mean I don't stumble. Doesn't mean I don't fall. But Jesus, as my foundation, keeps pulling me to look more like him every day. Jesus keeps freeing me from these vices and temptations and things that have been controlling me. He's given me freedom from these things because it's real. I didn't just hear it. I actually received it, and now I'm standing on it. So many of us stop at the hearing. I want to challenge you. Like, receive that into your heart and stand on it in your life. Live in a new identity. You are a child of God. Start believing and trusting in God to give you the things that you can't even imagine right now. To give you freedom from sins that have held you back for so long. And just let Jesus do his work. And Paul says in verse 2, he says, and by which you are being saved. The same gospel that does all this incredible stuff inside of us saves us. It's the thing that is, he says, you are being saved. God has saved you positionally, but also there's this thing happening inside of you that's current. It's now. He's working. He's transforming. He's changing and cleaning you. So every day that you decide, I'm going to choose Jesus today and not sin, every time you do that, you look a little bit more like Jesus. Every time you reject Satan's lies and you say, I'm following truth today, you look a little bit more like Jesus. And he's working in you. The Holy Spirit's changing you to be just like him. You're being saved because of this power of Jesus inside of you. And some of us aren't. Some of us are like, man, we're not looking more like Jesus every day. We need to be reminded, right? Because what we're doing is like, hmm, I mean, that, that looks real good, so I'll be back, Jesus. You know, we're, we just keep taking the steps to the wrong way and going, ah, my salvation's taken care of, so why not just live in sin? Why not just live like the world's telling me to live because I'm saved. Jesus says, because if you're actually standing, not just hearing, but like receiving and standing on him, your choice is obvious. The better of the two choices becomes so clear. The thing that will actually free you, actually make your life better, actually heal the brokenness instead of make you more broken, more hurt, more enslaved, is Jesus. So many of us are making the other choice, but he is at work in you. And you are being saved because he's doing that work every time you choose him. And then he says this, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So here's the sad part of this, these first two verses is that there are those of us who will play the game. who will make our friends think we're Christians. Make our parents and teachers proud of us by the way we act. And at the end of the day, we never stood in the gospel. At the end of the day, it says, there will be those who just believed in vain. It means empty. Vain means empty. There was nothing behind their faith. They just kind of did a thing, went through some motions, 
joined their family because their family was doing it or their friends were doing it. Or maybe Jesus just gave them this like high, like that happens too. Like I feel good when I'm at church. People are nice to me. Songs are cool. I like the environment. And today we can get that kind of like rush. And at the, when we leave, it's not like, hey, I can't wait to meet with Jesus. It was, that felt good. There's lots of reasons, but there's only one that matters. And there's only one that saves. That Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and the King of your life. Do you want to spend time in his presence? Do you want to take your heart and hand it over and say, all right, I'm yours? It's at that point when we're standing on the faith. And all of a sudden, Jesus does his work. But there are so many that won't hold to that. Eventually, they'll give in to the lies, and they'll be sucked in by the world, and they'll start to say weird things. Even some preachers today out there are writing books and saying things about how, you know, evolution this, and I don't know about the resurrection, and I'm not sure about these miracles, and the Bible, and all of a sudden, like, you have all these lies that sound exactly like Satan was already saying and has been saying for like 10,000 years. It's not new. We need a reminder. The world needs a reminder, but even those of us tonight in this room, we need a reminder of how good Jesus is and how enough he is for us to satisfy you, to save you, to make you transformed. Will you let him set your heart on fire tonight? Will you even just let him, let him put a spark in there? where you need nothing else and no one else but to just sit and say, Jesus, you really are the best. You're better than everything. Will you excite my heart over who you are tonight? Will you fill me with gratefulness for what you did for me on the cross? Will you blow my mind with the fact that you rose from the dead and you are reigning today? And will you fill me with this hope and expectation that you're coming back soon? And I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to be resurrected with you in my brand new body and see you face to face and stand in the presence of God and go, there's nothing better. Will you be reminded with me tonight? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I told you that Paul was giving us some evidences, some reasons why we can believe in the resurrection. And tonight what we see in this, these two verses is that the greatest evidence of it is me and you. It's the church. It's the fact that we have accepted Christ and we can be raised again with him. And the work he's doing in your heart is the greatest evidence to the world that he is risen again. And he is coming back. So over the next song, we're going to sing another song. Here's what i just like to ask you to do. Will you just look at your heart, just survey it for a second, and say, do I need to be reminded tonight? Do I need this dead, broken heart to be brought back to life and set back on fire with a passion for Jesus?